Okay, so I am here with Jolie Vigers. She is a CPA and money coach on a mission to make her clients more confident with their money. She works with women to understand their money stories and deep values in order to achieve alignment with their spending and investing. She is also the leader of the very popular Canadian Ladies Money Club on Facebook, which has a mission to normalize the conversations about money. And as a member of that group, I can say it's awesome and a very safe place to speak about money, which I love. And today we are going to talk all about investing and the trauma of money. So Jolie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me back again this year, Maria. All right. So I want to kind of jump right in. So for those of us who don't know, can you talk about what the trauma of money is? Sure. Okay. So I pulled this straight from the website and it says the trauma of money method is a compassionate approach that explores frameworks for healing collective and individual traumas to create financial safety and well-being. And so that is a whole big mouthful. I understand. (laughs) I know. But let's, you know, just to summarize it. So the trauma of money is a course that you can take online, which I just recently completed. And so now I am a certified practitioner. And so I'm very proud of that. But so let's break down what it talks about here, a compassionate approach. So this is not hardcore, like money, you know, must do better and optimize and all of that. It's not that. This is a compassionate approach, exploring frameworks for healing. You don't hear the word healing very often when you're talking about money and investing, right? So a healing collective and individual traumas to create financial safety and well-being. So I find that really empowering and an interesting way to approach what you're doing with your money, right? I think another important distinction here is that it's not not financial traumas that have now led you to where you are, but what it really talks about is traumas in your life that now have you dealing with your money in certain ways. Okay. So it's not financial trauma. It's the trauma of money and what you're doing now regarding your trauma with your money, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it does. Um, So my next question then is kind of thinking about that framework and how that all fits together. How does that inform our investment decisions? Like how does that relate to our, the decisions we make with money specifically in regards to investments? It is of course, very personal because it's personal finance. But I'll give you a couple of examples of how this might show up in your day-to-day life. You know, even for example, today I was talking to a lady and she said, yeah, I was told as a kid that I was bad at math and I wouldn't be any good with money. When you're told that as a child, right, that has a certain imprint on you that you are going to carry along with you, right? So this is a trauma, right? This is something that is going to impact your life. How? I don't know. I think that generally that would lead an easy route would be to avoidance, right? And so then if I'm going to be bad at math, like my teacher or my mom or my sister told me, then I am going to be much too afraid. So fear often comes, shame often comes. So I am going to avoid investing altogether. I'm going to avoid going to the bank and talking to anybody because I'm going to not understand what they're saying because I'm bad at math, right? So you can see how that can keep going through your life. You can be my age, we'll say, and still have 
these things that have played over. And even though someone told you that once when you were 10, you've continued to tell yourself that same story for the last 20, 30, 40 years, right? So this is the kind of thing that we have to work through to get to the other side. Okay, so that's just one example, right? Another example is a way that you can deal with your money or approach money is what they would call as a worshiping. And so this might be the way you would approach your investing as more of a gamble. You might be more risky to say, I need more. I need it quicker. I need, you know, the big wins. You might also, that might manifest as hoarding to say it's never enough, right? And so continue to invest, invest without paying attention to, hey, we should also be enjoying our life. What is all of this big stack of money supposed to do for us? It's supposed to let us live our life. But sometimes that gets clouded by having this relationship with money where it's more of a worshiping, right? So here's another example is you could be so... One partner in a, in a couple or in a family might have a higher level of acumen as far as it comes to investing. So there might be hiding your investments. There might be financial infidelity that transpires because if I know it, maybe I'm just not going to tell them and I'm going to have some of this and do this. And an easy example, of course, would be, oh, I'm going to invest in crypto and not tell my partner because they don't agree with it, right? So this is all different ways that this can, you know, show up in our day-to-day lives. And this is, these are all just examples of investing, right? Uh, so I, as I'm listening to this, I'm hearing all these like internal money scripts that we tell people ourselves, right? That we might have told mm-hmm. you right from those, you know, very formative years. So I think we all have some form of money trauma on some level regard, like everyone does. So what are some steps, like knowing what you know now, that we can take to kind of maybe be aware of it and to start to deal and heal with this to be able to process it? Uh, So I think one of the, the first things, and you've heard this phrase before, is you have to name it to tame it. And so part of that is just having some internal reflection to say, oh my gosh, I am doing this action because of what I dealt with here, right? Another great easy example of that is scarcity, right? If you grow up in scarcity, then you're going to, again, be very protective and hoarding. You may also do the opposite and you might say, I cannot keep any of this money because rich people are bad. So yes, obviously there are lots of these money scripts that come into play with day-to-day spending and with investing for sure. And so the first thing, name it to tame it. So you can start to recognize the past patterns, you can start to recognize your behaviors and your triggers for, oh my gosh, when this happens, I always seem to do this. Another easy example when it comes to spending is, oh my gosh, I'm feeling terrible. And so I'm going to go to the mall and do some shopping, right? Now we all know that that dopamine hit is short lived, but that might still be part of your normal cycles and your normal patterns of behavior. And so when you can take a minute and step back and say, oh, I see, that's the start of trying to change the stories going forward. So name entertainment, we really want to consider what we want going forward, right? So when we talk about traumas and we talk about these money stories, a lot of things have happened. It might have happened to us, whatever, but now 
We are still having this ongoing until we deal with it, until we heal from those things. And so at that point, that's when you get to choose, I'm writing my new story. What do I want this chapter of my financial journey to look like? And so I think that's really a big part of it. And once you can come to that realization, then... I always talk about the learning. This is a learning journey when we're starting to take control of our finances. And so you have to build up your competence. That means you need to know a little bit. What are these numbers about? What does this mean? How do they work, right? How do the systems in our capitalist society, how do they work? We need to build that competence so that then once we know and we can understand, even if we don't necessarily agree with it, then we're going to have that bigger confidence to say, I can manage in this. I know how it works. I know how to play this game. Not that it's a a fun game by any means, but we know how the systems work. So that's going to build up your confidence. So even with my very first example to say, oh my gosh, if I'm bad at math, I can't talk to an investment advisor. Well, once you have some competence, then it gets a little less scary to go to those meetings and ask the questions or even do online research and not have it all go over your head. Competence builds your confidence. And then what I'm most excited about are the conversations that you have. And so that might be with your spouse or your partner or with your best friend or with your investment advisor or with online communities like my Canadian Ladies Money Club and just asking and supporting each other. And, you know, all of that, those conversations, that is what changes our communities. And so I think even in talking about those things, that can be healing just to know that you're not alone. Yeah, I think that focus on community is so important. And I think that's how that process starts to happen. I like your um, now like the relationship between competence and confidence. I think that is so very specific also to investing. I think whenever I work with people investing, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then once they do it a few times, you become way more competent as your confidence grows. So I think that relationship is very relevant to investing as well. So that brings me to my next question. As far as that, how does the awareness of our money trauma can, how can that make us better investors? Like how can it help us make better investment choices? You know, I think it's a little bit tricky because what is a a better investment choice is sort of a loaded question because it doesn't necessarily have to be the most optimized to be better, right? So here's an example. I was talking to someone last week and they said, yeah, whatever, we started with a robo-advisor, but I don't understand it. So I'm scared to put my money in. So for that particular person, they didn't have the competence. They weren't confident. They weren't ready for that level. So they were would have done much better. I know that there's going to be lots of speakers on this whole investment summit that are going to be talking about MERs and fees and all of that. This particular person would have been better off if they had gone to their local bank and said, set me up with an investment account. Please hold my hand through this so that I know what's happening. And then they were confident to dump money in because optimizing all of these things is irrelevant if you're not putting money in. And that's exactly where this client of mine was. They had what was deemed the easy solution but they weren't ready for that. They weren't there yet. And so they lost out of time in the market because it wasn't the right fit. So I think doing some exploration, of course, into, you know, the learning and figuring out your needs, your wants, your idea of not just, oh, yes, we all want a million dollars in the bank. Yeah, of course, right? But how do we get there? That is such a big difference for each and every one of us, right? Even as much as, investing in real estate compared to the stock market. They're both investing. Which do you feel more comfortable with? So becoming
becoming a better investor is taking that internal, you know, dialogue to say, what is it that I really want? And I think that's always, you know, even when I'm working with my clients, we always start the whole first session is all about your money stories and your values, because this is the whole idea of start with why. Why? Why do you care? What matters to you? Because that's how we become better investors. It's not optimizing for the lowest MER and, you know, on and on and on. No, it's finding the solution that's a good fit for you. That's how we become better investors. I agree. I think that to me, that better investment piece is being more confident as an investor, right? Like I think it's, you're right. Everybody has a different plan. I think I invest in real estate. That's one of our big things. And people are always like, well, what's the best way? It's like every way can be good. It just, you Mm -hmm. know, you find what works for you and you work it. So I think the goal is to just be more confident as an investor. And I think you've had a good point as far as just exploring that, figuring out what system is going to be best for you to put your money in. I think that kind of, I guess that's the answer to that question, right? As far as that, looking at that money trauma. Um, So thinking about your investments, what are some, and this is, we're just talking global overall investments, that psychology of that. What are some potential red flags or maybe limiting beliefs that we should kind of be aware of when we're thinking about our investment portfolio? Uh, Some red flags, I think, are... The whole background to that is if you're not confident and if you're not comfortable with what they are, if you don't understand what they are, if you're working with an advisor or with someone else and they can't tell you exactly what's going on and they can't tell it to you in a grade five level, then it might not be the best fit for you. Okay, so I would say that would be a red flag. And any other kinds of things when we're talking about investments, if you don't have easy access, that would be a red flag for sure. And so because everything these days is so digital and it's also so online, but also needs to be very customer service focused. I think that not having access, so that could be not having great reports, not being able to have an online login, any of those kinds of things, certainly a red flag, not being able to withdraw your money within a certain time frame. You know, I know there are some that are, you know, notorious companies for you have to leave it in for seven years. Some of the RESP companies, for example, you don't have easy access to get to your money. So I think those Those are some definite red flags. But really, when it comes down to it, it's all about your feelings. It doesn't matter if your return is 10% and you think, oh my gosh, that's great or that's, you know, terrible or whatever the math is, doesn't matter as much as I'm comfortable here. Because you can be making lots of money and not being in agreement with the way that that money is being made. For example, there's lots of the ESG investing that's available. And so you might choose to do it that way. So that's environmental, social governments, um, specifically to uh, kind of work with companies that are better, I'll put in quotes, than all of the mainstream, you know, companies that are available for you to buy in. And so, you know, you might decide to do those kinds of things. There's lots of options. And I think that people need to be comfortable with where they're at. And so if that's going down this path or that path, as long as you understand it, I think that's the key. So what is some, what is a way then to so knowing what you know now, how is like, what is an action step from all the action in the summit? What is an action step someone can take to feel more comfortable and therefore confident with their investments? So of course, when I talk about this, it's always education first. 
right? Sometimes the education piece though is very, very difficult. And I see this often with my clients as well. But when we talk about competence, that's what we're talking about is the education piece to say, okay, well, I need to understand. So some great resources, of course, here are a couple of books that I recommend all the time. So Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. I'm sure everybody's seen that one. Beat the Bank by Larry Bates. Another one, great books that I would suggest. Guess what? These talk about the math of investing. They don't talk about the trauma of how difficult it is to open that envelope or open your online statement and say, oh my gosh, my money went down by 15% in 2022, right? And so that part, if you need guidance, of course, there are people you can talk to. There's community, of course. I always recommend that. So mine, of course, is not the only one, but there are lots there. Having a coach in your corner sometimes, and of course, there's a little plug. This is what I do for my business, of course. And so I've had clients that have been scared to open statements, scared to look at what their net worth is. They, you know, that whole fear plays such an important part that they don't want to know, or they do want to know, but they're afraid to look because they think it's going to be worse than it is. And so the whole education piece, sometimes we need to have someone hold our hand through that, right? To make it and uh, a project of curiosity and discovery feels very different than, you know, being hardcore to say, this is what we need to do, right? So it's a very different approach to say, you know what, I think I need just an accountability partner to walk me through this so that I can learn. From there, yes, of course, you can use the books and you can use the podcasts and all the online resources. There are tons available, right? So like even compared to, I started investing when I was 16 and I walked into the bank branch. I didn't even get to sit down in the fancy office. I was standing at the teller counter when I bought my first mutual funds. And you know how I did it? Like they brought over the book and we're like, well, we kind of sell a lot of these and we sell a lot of these. And that's basically how it went down, right? Now, once you have the education piece, all of that, so all of the, the fact sheets are all online. So once you kind of get the ball rolling and then you talk to people and start to hear more and on and on, then you can take it to the next level and dig deeper and dig deeper to optimize what you want for your investments, right? But Sometimes that first step of even taking a look, that's where our traumas show up much more than once you're already into that stage and saying, okay, now I need to, you know, narrow down my MERs. Because fear and shame are such like visceral emotions. I, I You're right. Like they, they drive the bus, right? So if, and if we don't realize that we don't know that's kind of who's driving the bus, it's really hard to take control of that. So I think you've made a really good point there. If I want to, so I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, I realize I have some money trauma. I want to kind of work through this. What is one step that someone can take, you know, in the next 24 hours to start the healing process of this? So I think a lot of it can be done, you know, even on your own to do some reflections. Here's one easy example, write down piece of paper, write down the word money and spend literally 20 minutes. You, a piece of paper, you can have multiple colors of pens if you like, and write down all the feelings that you have about money. Not just, oh, I like it or it's good, or the, but dig deeper. And then ask yourself, whose trauma is this about money? Is this coming generationally? Is this coming systemically? All of these thoughts about money, just straight up money. Where is that coming from? That's going to lead you down a whole road of self-discovery when we you know, start talking about how you feel about it. 
right? So I think that would be a great first step. There's lots of other resources online. For example, you can do some of those money personality quizzes online. Some of them have some questionable archetypes, the names that they have. Some of them are much more positive spin, more proactive sounding at least. So again, we're not bringing shame in. So some of those kinds of things will again, give you some time to reflect on who you are, how you got there, you'll also, when you read through these different money types, you'll say, oh, that one is my spouse. That one is my mom. That one is my dad. And you'll start to see, oh, are you following in the same patterns from your parents? And how is your partner following in with this too? Because now you're going to have two people that are each bringing in their own money stories to say, how are we going to do it together? Because this is a whole nother world now, right? Even if you've been married for 20 years and you haven't really taken the time to say, what do we want from our money? Because that is a whole other like next step. So I would say, do some of those just for some self-reflection, just to dig in and think, what does it mean for me? And I think sort of the next level then would also be to say, well, what are my values? And again, this is where we always start with why, is what is it that you want? So another one of my favorite books that I talk about all the time, of course, Your Money, Your Life by Vicki Robin, talk about it all the time. So if we only have 100 years on the planet, what do we want our money to do for us? And when it all comes down to it, that's what we want from our investments, right? We want that to give us our life energy worthwhile. We want to spend our money there. We want to spend our time there. And so we want to invest accordingly to that. Well, you've definitely given us a lot to think about. You've shared some great resources, some steps that we can kind of do to get started. If you want to follow along or know more about Julie, you can check out her links below and definitely uh, look up her Canadian Ladies Money Club on Facebook. It is a great place, like I said, to have some of these really safe conversations, some very active ladies in there. It's a great place to connect. So once again, Julie, thank you for opening our eyes. Let's talk a little bit more about the psychology of money side of things. And I want to definitely thank you again for your time. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure because I am a big advocate for more women talking about money, having these conversations and taking control, getting excited about what their money can do for them. Mm -hmm.